0: everybody, and welcome back to the Mythology Central podcast. I'm very excited to introduce today's story, coming to us from Celtic mythology, and today we're trying something that I haven't ever tried with this podcast, so we're going to see how it goes. Today the story we are telling is the quest for the Holy Grail, and this is a really, really long story. In fact, this story is so long and so intricate that this is actually going to be a three-part series spread over the next three weeks. Before we start, if you haven't yet, I suggest you should go back and listen to my telling of the legend of the sword in the stone from season one of this podcast, as it does quite a nice job of leading into this one. And I think that's about all, so without any ado, let us get right into part one of the quest for the Holy Grail. Merlin had not been seen at Camelot for some time, and it's never a good sign when your wizard goes missing. Arthur was naturally concerned at this, and so he sent out some of his knights of the round table to go out in search of Merlin. The only knight that we are going to focus on for this tale, however, is Sir Gawain. While traveling to the forest, Gawain heard the sound of someone groaning. He followed this sound and came to the shores of a lake, where a dense mist was coming from within. He tried to pass into the mist, but the barrier would not let him through. From inside, the groaning turned into a voice, that of Merlin. He explained that Vaini, the Lady of the Lake, had imprisoned him there for all time and that nothing could be done for him anymore. Merlin instructed Sir Gawain to return to Camelot and give Arthur the following message. The knight is born and ready to begin and accomplish this task for the good of the land and its people. Now is the time of the quest of the Sangreal. Hearing this, Gwaine rushed back to Camelot and delivered the message to Arthur, who began to grieve for the loss of his dear friend, all while pondering over the message in his mind. Now, we are going to jump ahead a bit to the day before Pentecost, Sir Lancelot was returning from a journey with Bors and Lionel, when he found the entire company gathered around the round table. Each chair surrounding it had a glittering gold name emblazoned upon it, of he who should sit there. However, after all of the knights had taken a seat, there was still one empty chair. On one side, Lancelot, and on the other, Percival. And as all of the knights examined this chair, Golden letters grew upon it, spelling out the following message. Four hundred and fifty years after the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, this siege shall be filled. And a siege was just another name for a chair. Now you could tell how magical this world was when, having gazed upon the chair for a bit, everyone simply let it be and began to eat, for it was Pentecost and a great feast had been prepared. Everyone was chatting and eating and having a good old time until the meal was suddenly interrupted by a squire who rushed into the room Exclaiming that there was a great square stone floating down the river with the golden handle of a sword shining bright like a cross stuck upon it Now this sword in the stone is not to be confused with the other sword in the stone This seems to be an extremely uncommon common occurrence during this time Arthur and his knights ran out to investigate this sight, and found the squire's statement to be true. Fixed firmly within this slab, as if it had been driven in, was a sword, upon which was inscribed the following words. Never shall I be drawn forth except by he who is the perfect knight, and at his side I will hang. Sir Gawain and Sir Sir Percival and many others tried to draw this sword forward, but they all failed. None could free it. And so they brought the slab with the sword still impaled in it, back to the round table, where they set it aside and continued with their meal. However, once more they were interrupted, when suddenly all the windows and doors of the room slammed shut. The candles flickered out, and seconds later flickered back on. However, now, standing in the room, was an old man, and with him, a knight in dark red armor. However, this knight was clad with no weapon. He was young and beautiful and the fairest of any of these knights that he had ever seen. He walked over to Arthur and bowed, walking over to the knightless chair. The golden letters that displayed the earlier explained message rearranged themselves to read Sir Galahad, the High Prince. Lancelot Looking deeper at this knight now, he now recognized the young knight as Galahad, his son, and the old man as Nantzins, the hermit. Galahad took his seat in the empty chair, and just as before, completely ignoring this what must have been an extremely uncommon occurrence, the knights went back to eating. Nantzins took his leave. Welcome, said Arthur, looking on in surprise. Please, tell us who you are. I am Sir Galahad, and my mother, Eleni, is the daughter of King Pels, the maimed king, who lies crippled at the castle of Carbonek. I have heard of King Pels, replied Arthur, and yet I did not know he had a grandson. You look like Sir Lancelot, as a young man. And with this, Sir Lancelot revealed the news that Galahad indeed was his son. When dinner was ended, Sir Arthur took Galahad aside and showed him the stone slab that they had discovered earlier. Galahad grasped the sword, and it slid out of the rock like a knife in butter. Placing the sword in the empty scabbard he carried, Galahad exclaimed, Now I have the sword that struck the dolorous stroke. Once it hung at Sir Balin's side, and with it he slew his brother Balin. But Merlin said it thus in the stone that it might come to my hand on the day appointed and shine there to the glory of God. With this the matter was settled and Galahad claimed the sword. Armor and horses were brought forward and knights began a jousting tournament in the field by the river. Galahad turned down King Arthur's offer of a shield saying that same as with the sword he will only carry one when god appoints it so thus he took a spear and defeated justly all who stood against him in the jousting games not even sir tristram or sir gareth were able to topple him from his horse however lancelot gawain percival and bors did not joust against him at the end of the tournament king arthur and all of the knights returned and took their places around the round table Suddenly, once more, the candles dimmed, and thunder shook the keep. Lightning flooded the hall with strange light, and from this came a maiden, though none could make out her features, as the light was too bright. She carried with her the glowing sangreal, veiled in white silk. Seeming to glide upon the light, it passed through the midst of the group, and filled them with joy, peace, and the fulfillment of God and then suddenly departed in silence. Inspired by this miraculous event, Sir Gawain declared that he would not rest, day or night, for one year and a day until he saw the Sangreal fully unveiled. Arthur, hearing this, remembered the message of Merlin and was filled with remorse. He knew that the others would follow Sir Gawain's example and knew that many would die on the quest, and if not die, would not return. However, there was nothing he could do, and in the early days of summer, 150 knights including Sir Galahad, Lancelot, Bors, and Percival, rode from Camelot on the quest of the Sangreal, and King Arthur wept, knowing the world had changed forever. This will conclude part one of the quest for the Holy Grail. However, there are still many amazing tales to come out of Celtic Mythology, along with part two of this very story, dropping next Monday. You can find me on social media at owen45871 on Twitter and at Mythology Central on Instagram. You can also find the podcast at www.mythologycentral.com. I hope you enjoyed, and please be sure to check out part two, which will be dropping next Monday at 12pm Mountain Time. (music) Thank <music> you.